Hello, hello, hello. It is Thursday, January 10th, 2019. It is one o'clock Eastern time, and this is a special edition of Higher Ed Live. I'm your host, Ashley Budd. On today's live broadcast, we're talking about higher ed trends with my very good friend, Seth O'Dell. This episode is part of the Higher Ed Live Network. All of our episodes offer you direct access to the best and brightest minds in education. You can be a part of our live broadcast by sharing your own knowledge and participating in our discussions by tweeting at us uh, using either the Higher Ed Live hashtag, tweeting right at the Higher Ed Live handle. Uh, hopefully you know that all of these episodes are free and very easy to access in the video archives at higheredlive.com or you take Higher Ed Live with you on the go by subscribing to the podcast. Higher Ed Live is produced by M. Stoner a digital first agency committed to tailored solutions that drive real results. I want to get right into this episode because I don't know how to do any longer intro. It's been a very long time since I have uh, hosted one of the higher ed live, but I'm so psyched that um, Seth reached out to me and said, Hey, let's get the band back together. Uh, let's, let's do one of these things. I think it's be Figured it's been a few years since uh, either of us have been on Higher Ed Live, and it was just like riding a bike. Um, so, so, thanks so much for the nudge. It's so good to see you, um, and I can't wait to catch up. Yeah, well, so good morning on my end, good afternoon on yours, because we are uh, coast to coast right now, and uh, I am so pumped uh, to be back. I have emerged. Um, from my, my cocoon and cave where I've been the last few years, I'm back on the surface uh, and most importantly back on Higher Ed Live where it all began uh, and I'm really excited. So thanks for letting me holler at you. Shout out to that back channel. What up, Rachel Room? And haven't talked to you in a while. We should probably catch up too. It is all OG today. We are back on Higher Ed Live. It's like it's 2010 again and things are just getting started. I love it. I love it. I know you're back on the West Coast. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm still in New York, <laughs> but um, but yeah, I mean, certainly a lot has happened. I think when we first uh, met each other uh, on the internet, um, way back then, um, you were at UCLA, had just taken a job at SNU, um, and you have been in a few different places since then. So catch us up. Where you been? What are you up to? Uh, yeah, so that's fair. I've bounced around a little bit, and I'd like to think I've settled down and put down roots. Um, but to your point, I was at UCLA for like four years. Um, that's where I, I was lucky enough to found Higher Ed Live. Um, and, you know, and shout out to everybody who's made it so great since then. I moved to Southern New Hampshire University, as you mentioned, uh, which was awesome. I was there for like four years. I got just the total, you know, lesson learned in adult and online education, and learned it from some of the best people in the business. Uh, and then I bounced out to Salt Lake City, Utah. Uh, for a little less than two years, uh, I ran an ad agency there called Helix Education. I was the general manager of their marketing services division. Uh, and they're a, what's called an OPM, an outsourced program management company. They basically run online programs for schools and colleges. And so there I worked with a couple dozen schools uh, in varying capacities, some of them running their entire online programs, others just running some of their marketing channels, uh, and got to work with a ton of great uh, folks there. Uh, but about a little less than two years ago, uh, I moved to San Diego, California. Uh, and I have been serving as the Vice Chancellor of Marketing for National University System. Uh, so first off, Vice Chancellor, that's a cool title, right? Uh, not bad. So I was like, okay, that sounds that's like a higher ed title, fancy way of saying uh, I do marketing stuff. Uh, and I do it at National University System. And just really quickly, if folks aren't familiar, uh, National University System is a nonprofit system 
Uh, and we actually basic, essentially own and operate four nonprofit universities. Uh, National University, John F. Kennedy, National University, which is based in San Diego, uh, John F. Kennedy University, uh, which is based in the Bay Area, City University of Seattle, obviously in Seattle, uh, and then just uh, literally last week we closed and acquired uh, a school called North Central University out of um, here in San Diego as well, uh, but they also have a large operation in Scottsdale, Arizona. Uh, in addition to that, we run three nonprofits. Uh, we also have an online high school, some charter schools, and so we're like a, a big nonprofit group. Uh, and essentially, I came in to run marketing uh, for all of those organizations. And so the way that I was tasked with that and the work that I've gotten to do was to basically, at the system level, build an in-house ad agency. And so over the past couple of years, really, I've been uh, working away uh, and building a team of now uh, 52 people, went from 23 to 52, uh, and we're a full-service in-house ad agency, um, buying media directly from you know Google, Facebook, everybody else across all of our partners, directly with all those platforms. And we operate like an ad agency, but we do it inside the system, uh, and so that way we're able to increase performance, um, give the accounts more time, and save a ton of money at the same time as well. So it's been... Um, really fun uh, to kind of work through this thing. Uh, but it's also why I've been like head down, kind of hiding out because- I've got so um, many questions for you about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta ask them all. So that's where I've been, but now I'm here. You know, it's really great that you've been able to stay in the education space for so long, um, you know, changing all of these different roles and, but like staying within our sector. And I couldn't think of a better person to just talk to about what the trends are and you've already started you know, you're talking about buying up other universities and merging and uh, so lots of questions coming your way um but i'm so happy that even though you've been ducking out uh from maybe the the spotlight a little bit that you're you're still um uh, working in higher ed and uh, it's just it's good to have you so um, it's good to be here i'm not going anywhere cool cool <laughs> Um, you're living in San Diego now. Yeah. Um, what else is happening, you know, outside of the big so, uh, university life? Outside of the big university life, uh, I got a couple speaking gigs coming up. Uh, you know, haven't been on the speaking circuit for a while. Uh, I'm keynoting an AMA San Diego conference in April uh, and talking about the art and science of conversion, um, why we buy and how to influence behavior. Really fun one. Uh, and then I'm speaking um, at uh, another conference for the Learning House, which is a big OPM out in Louisville. I serve on their advisory board, uh, and I'll be out there speaking with them. Uh, and outside of that, I've been like uh, big on a health kick lately. I'm down 50 pounds over the past year. I'm you know really focused on all that and stuff. And so as people know about me, I tend to work a lot and not take care of myself. Uh, and uh, now I'm putting as much work in as I'm putting out, and I've never felt better as a result. That's awesome. Well, uh, if any of you hear a uh, loud screeching or crying in the background here, uh, you know that I work from home. And since we've last connected, I've uh, had a small human enter our house. And so we're raising her. And um, now just uh, same here, kind of head down a little bit, figuring out how to do the parent job, um, but also doing a lot of writing um lately working at cornell has upped my ability to write incredibly so um um for those of you that have been 
staying in touch with me. Um, I've got a, a lot of you um, close friends on my newsletter subscriber list, and that's helping me get the writing writing going. And I, well, well, hold on, we gotta shout that out. I read your newsletter every week religiously, and I can't believe I'm shouting out a newsletter, uh, yeah. but it's so good. I love it. Um, it. I'm envious. I feel like I want to start my own. I just basically want to ride your coattails, you but should. like. First New Year's resolution for everybody watching is if you're not signed up with Ashley Bud's uh, newsletter, get on that now. Um, yeah, because you should, I mean, uh, the way I look at the newsletter is that I'm just writing a note to my friends that I wish, you know, I wish we could stay in touch. I wish they knew what I was up to and it's a really good way to do it and a really good way for me to practice writing. Um, so thanks. Yeah, I'm glad you read. Yay. <laughs> I read. Um, so, uh, let's do, uh, industry catch up if we will. Uh, if you got it. Yeah. So, um, let's do maybe like a quick rundown on what is trending right now. I know a lot of times on higher ed catch ups, we kind of, we can look at what the market's doing. Um, can you tell me about like yeah. competition, that sort of thing? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, welcome to 2019, right? Um, the world has completely changed and everything's the same. Um, and so, you know, the first thing that's clearly a little different about this year is the back channel is fire. What up, Ed Cabell? And shout out to everybody who's tuning in. Uh, but really, here's what I think's happened in 2019. Uh, the first is that comp you know, competition is up and demand is down. Uh, it's important for everybody to know that higher education is a, is a mature market. Uh, and that's the case across all audiences. Uh, when it comes to high school students, the reality is there's less students graduating high school every year. Uh, that's population dynamics driving that. And at the adult and online side, the world I live in, that non-traditional student, um, demand is also flat at best and most likely down. So every year our industry is losing one and a half percent of students, a total enrollment compound, at the same time that everybody's growing in online, trying to grow. And so what we have is you know too much competition, not enough demand, um, and that's leading to a whole lot of changes, whether it's just, you know, the big stuff like mergers and acquisitions, you know, schools actually closing or schools getting purchased, um, you know, OPMs are getting bought, which are those private companies that run online programs. Um, but also just for all of us at any level, it feels like we're doing, asked to be doing more with less um, at every position. And that to me, I think is going to be the big theme for 2019. Yeah. And I've, I've been, now that I work in the advancement side of higher ed, I am looking at the dollars much more closely than I did with enrollment. Enrollment, I was, you know, I knew bigger class sizes, raise that tuition, like more and more and more. That's the only way we can keep this train running. Um, but in advancement, it's really more about like our revenue mix and here's what we're bringing in intuition. Here's what we need to raise. Here's what we're getting in grants. Here's what we need for research. Um, and that's such an interesting yeah. the puzzle to look at, uh, especially with the changing dynamics of, you know, this competitive space um, and not being able to rely on what yeah. for a lot of schools is like at least 50% of the revenue that they depend on coming in. Yeah, for schools that are tuition dependent, it is such a dire big year. Um, and even for the larger brands, there's been some pressures that they haven't felt before. You know, MBA demand as a whole is down. Um, but the part that's interesting is, you know, so everybody's trying to do more with less. And the part that excites me is um, a lot of times when we think about technology and education, people are thinking 10 years out, um, big picture, crazy things that change. But the thing that's exciting about where we are today versus five years ago is that we've never had more visibility into what's really happening. Um, it used to just be that we relied on like email open rates and that's all we kind of knew. And now when it comes to whether you're in development or you're in student affairs or you're in marketing, 
uh, I feel like there's never been more prevalence of visibility into what's really going on and data that's available. And for the folks that can organize that and make it uh, accessible, um, it, it's a game changer to be able to run your your department or your team uh, or your business as a whole, you know, off of a scoreboard and actually know that like, okay, if we're trying to raise money, how do we get in front of people? If we're trying to make sure students are successful, how do we get them you know, in class? How do we get them over the hurdles that come up when they're pursuing their degrees? Um, that to me is like the exciting part. Um, is, is the fact that for so many of us, while the challenges have never been bigger, we've also sort of never been more empowered, at least from a tech perspective, um, that you can do a lot with a little. Um, and it just takes a little ingenuity and, and a little bit of grit. Uh, and, uh, and you can find a way to navigate this because there's still people out there winning uh, and, and growing and doing a great job, even though there's a lot of folks also that are, that are really struggling and facing some hard facts this year. Yeah, yeah. Um, so going to pay attention to the back channel because they are chatty. Uh, but yeah, I mean, to, to Rachel's point out there on Twitter that this yeah. plus with more has been, you know, this has been the trend for a decade. And, yeah. um, and I think I've been fortunate enough to sit in digital roles where you're tasked with, with that problem, doing more with less, but also you're given a tool set that helps you scale what you can, what you've been doing traditionally uh, and scale it for the masses. And, that's a fun a fun problem to solve. Yeah, yeah. I'll uh, if you don't mind, I'll jump in. I'll shout out a little bit. Uh, my my old friend Eric Olson in the back channel talking about some interesting things happening. You know, Ivy's coming in with boot camps. Um, you know, tuition changes. Uh, I, I think there's kind of two paths happening in higher ed right now, and it's important when we talk about trends to understand. One is the trend that's actually impacting our bottom line, and the other is the trend that's transforming our industry. Uh, right now, the disruption that most of us are facing is an old school disruption. At the traditional side, we're being disrupted by a shift in population dynamics. And at the adult and online side, we're being shifted by literally just the innovation of online education itself. We are on the tail end of innovation from 10 years ago, and that's what we're experiencing. Um, at the same time, there's a whole lot of great stuff on the horizons, um, and, and that's exciting. But it, for the most part, it's not impacting many people's bottom line revenue. Um, but it is something that we need to be aware of because, you know, sustained innovation is the game today and disruptive innovation is really what's going to change the industry. Um, on the boot camp side, I'll just uh, continue off of Eric's thing too. Uh, I mean, 2018 was the year of boot camp closures. I mean, here we, we all thought boot camps was going to transform a lot and then all of a sudden boot camps became MOOCs and it became this thing that was hot and is now not. And the amount of large scale boot camp providers that couldn't find a way to drive uh, revenue is really interesting. And now, you know, part of that may be that they were independent companies that they weren't able to offer, you know, federally backed financial aid. Uh, and so we're seeing some shifts in that area. And that's really, I think, what Eric is highlighting in the back channel. And that is a key shift um, because that business model could work, you know, within a large brand that can offer financial aid. A boot camp may be a different area of a business. And uh, and that's one I think that, that we could see shake out a little bit this year, too. Yeah. Um, so, Joel, I need to call out for a number of things. First, Joel. Seth's Twitter handle is at Seth Odell. I don't know who S Odell is, but he's getting blown up today. Oh. <laughs> at either Seth or I. Uh, I'm at Ashley underscore Bud, and Seth is at Seth Odell. Joel should know this. Um, Joel's, you know, Joel's point, um, you know, yes, we have to do more with less, but is it possible to do better with less? Yeah. And it it's about focusing on the right things, right? And yeah. if, you're, if you decide to pick something that's not going to help you advance, then you're in trouble. Yeah. Uh, so I totally agree. A couple of the, my themes, just to just to make this a little bit personal, 
Um, you know, a couple of things I shared with, with my team uh, and my teammates uh, coming into 2019, I said that one of the most important things this year is prioritization. Uh, it's where we're going to apply our efforts. And one of the things I shared with my team on Monday of this week in a leadership meeting is I want you to tell me all the things we're not going to do, not just the things we are. And I don't just want to add things every month and every quarter. I want to come back and talk about all the things we've stopped doing. Uh, and I think that's really where Joel is getting at. And that's why Joel is Joel and he's so great is like uh, sometimes we can get farther by actually thinking about what we're not doing. And so one of the things we're approaching this year, at least within my department, you know, we built this team over about 18 months. So we're building and adding all these things. This is the year that we sculpt, which means that we artfully and, and carefully take things away to try to see what's the pure form underneath it. Uh, and that's really a big focus because um, ultimately, at the end of the day, management is just the management of finite resources. Um, and, and we can always do better with that. Uh, and that is, in, in all cases, fixed. Um, you know, and so uh, to me, that's such a key thing. And I just think that you know, Joel's point is dead on, um, that it's not just more, um, it's better. And, and uh, I think that's an awesome lesson. So in the marketing world, where can we be better? What should we be focusing on? Uh, so in the marketing world, uh, I don't think there's a lot of new things here. Um, you know, the obvious ones like, you know, mobile is more important than ever. Um, but I think that, that that's still a key component is throughout your student journey, um, where do they need to be on a desktop? And if the, if the answer is they do, you got to go back and really check that um, and really be aware of it. And so the first is like, is the mobile experience seamless? That's not more the argument of mobile anymore. It's more about mobile as a path. Uh, and whether or not that path is clear, um, that to me is huge. Um, you know, from a from a channel perspective, I don't see significantly new channels. You know, with organic social, there's there's you know the hot stuff like TikTok and things, but but generally speaking, you know, it's still Instagram. It's less Snapchat. It's less Facebook. But we're not really seeing significant new entrants and major players. And and, and so we're coming into this year not sort of turning things completely over, um, but rather I think it's all about you know evaluating where we're at, and where we're going to apply our attention. Uh, in particular, you know, definitely from an advertising perspective, now, you know, one of the largest ad providers, um, and and they're definitely you know a huge player in our space. Paid search is going to keep growing, but but a lot of people in paid search, this is from market perspective, paid search is going to be unaffordable from a non-brand perspective in the next four to five years, and so people are going to start getting priced out on that now. And the reason is because schools are buying ads that they can't afford then they're not starting students and then someone else is coming in and bidding it up. And so because it's a bidding platform, we're not actually behest to what's economical and driving the student, we're behest to what someone else is willing to pay. And unfortunately, people that don't know are willing to pay too much and it's a tough lesson to learn. With 4,000 colleges and universities in this country, there's a long line of people that are learning that lesson right now. Um, but all of that, I'll say the biggest thing to me and the number one thing that, that is true, not just last year and this year, but your competition, your number one competition of your marketer is noise. Uh, and the most important thing this year, the most important measuring stick for you is relevancy. Uh, and in order to be relevant, people have to just know you exist. And so to me, um, that's the single most important thing. And so that, that harkens all the way back to like the great old ad man, Bill Bernbach, for those of you who know him, that says, you know, the truth isn't the truth until people believe you. And they can't believe you if they don't know what you're saying. And they can't know what you're saying if they don't listen to you. And they won't listen to you if you're not interesting. And you won't be interesting unless you say things imaginatively, originally, and freshly. And that's you know Bill Birnbach uh, of the classic like lemon bug campaigns. And it's never been more true today. Um, you know, people have to notice us in order to have an opinion of us. And so the first and foremost competition for you this year is just people acknowledging and recognizing that you exist. And so relevancy to me is like is is so huge this year and one of the biggest hurdles we have to get over. Yeah, and for me, when I think about relevancy, like 
what's stopping me from being relevant is knowing my audience and knowing what they're up to so that I can deliver to them something that's relevant. Um, and uh, we've got a couple of questions coming in from Eric. I don't know if you want to yeah. uh, uh, yes. some of these, um, but you know, especially, you know, I hear it's the relevancy thing I still hear over and over. I, I hear personalization over and over. Um, and I, I, you know, I'd like to get your feedback on um, one point on personalization that I, I struggle with. Um, so uh, I often hear when we're going in to solve a, a communications or a marketing problem that we need, we need a more personalized approach. Um, and then when I talk to my audience, especially a Cornell audience, um, you know, when we do these personalized approaches, we're putting them down a path that doesn't show them the full scope of what's available. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, when is the right time to pick personalization? And if you don't know your audience well enough, like, how are you going to personalize something for them? So, yeah, I think that's kick that around. So, so it's super, let's unpack that. And, and a great point on, on Eric's point about personalization. So the first thing in order to do personalized messaging, uh, or any kind of personalized marketing, um, you have to have data and information that you can use to personalize. And so the, the first thing that I recommend to everybody is we have to have a strategy of what are we capturing? Uh, and what can we make relevant? Um, the second thing is the biggest piece, I think, which you bring up, actually, which is like, okay, so if we have information about you, um, what are we actually making relevant and why? Um, you know, the first and most important thing I would say is that that personalization isn't always the answer. You're totally right. Uh, the first thing that you need is a best practice baseline. Um, so if you have the right message that works for everybody first, that's what matters. And so uh, even when I came into National Vision System, one of the things that I talked about uh, is that you start at the top and you work your way down as far as personalization. So we're going to develop a great best practice. We're going to develop an email, you know, that now our email open rates can get upwards of 40. Last week we had an email that had a 50% open rate, and that was not a personalized email outside of first name. And so it was classic stuff, just big email, personalized first name, and that was it. And so the first area I'd say is start big, speak about your brand, and then use their name. Quite literally, name. That's the simplest way to first personalize. The second to me is connecting people with the outcome that they want. And so for me in marketing, that typically means program mix. And so uh, at National University System, we recently acquired North Central University, uh, and we sent an email out to our alumni. Literally, it went out in the last two days, um, and it basically said, you know, we have this new institution joining us. You can get a tuition discount as an alumni. And we did connect the program that they got that's already in our database with, and we mapped it to the program that we think was the best fit for them at the new institution. So we said, you can choose from all these different degrees, but since you're an alum of A, you might really be interested in B. Um, and that was easy, again, because it's focused on outcome. And so to me, when it comes to personalization, the key is to focus on driving more value. And so if being more personal gives more value to the person you're communicating to, it's helpful. So in our case, someone would normally have opened up that email. They'd have to click through a link, browse through a website, and then find the program that interests them most. And we still prompted them and said you could do that. But for the folks that got a degree in a certain field, we did the work of connecting them to the exact product they might be most interested in, and we put that in the email. So without having to click, without having to take time, we might have already answered a question. Now, I'll be candid. We don't know how well it worked yet. We got the data coming in this week at RSC, but that to me is where we're thinking about personalization, is where can we provide more value? And in all cases, we're measuring that by increased conversion from one status stage of a funnel to another. So for us, it's like, inquiry to application, application to start, things like that. Right. Um, and so to me, it's all, it, it, personalization is providing value, 
test it and give it a shot. Uh, but definitely don't just chase personalization for the sake of, of doing it because you can. Sometimes one email uh, does just as good a job as having the team take the time to develop 20 emails and try to deploy them all, you know, in some specific spider web type of technology and approach. The best practice rule is such a good approach for everything. If you're not getting those basics right, don't try to take the jump to yeah. the personalized world um, where you could be turning some people off and learning some, yeah. you know, learning something about your audience with the straightforward message. Yeah. I will say, as for one thing, first of shout out, thanks to Eric for shouting out just how ridiculous those email open rates are. Uh, I'm very lucky. I have an amazing team here. Um, I get to sit in this office and they do all the amazing work uh, and I get to share that with you. So first off, kudos to everybody I work with who's far more talented and smarter than I am. Um, I'm going to give one tip because he said share your secrets. Here's the simple one. You, if you're in marketing or recruiting, every single email you ever send has the recipient's first name in the subject line. And I mean everyone. Now we have tested and relentlessly tested other subject lines and I've never been able to beat the baseline. So when you hit our funnel and you're getting 20, 30 emails throughout the process of going to start, everyone has your first name in it. Has Seth, comma, next step in your application process. Or are you ready for the next step, comma, Seth. I promise I didn't want to do it every time. I felt there's no way that this, this works every single time, but it does. It does every single time, and that's one. And the second biggest tip that I'm going to share, this is a big one. I wasn't going to drop this till April when I keynote that AMA conference, but I'm going to drop it now from my buddy Eric Olson because he prompted me for everybody else on the back channel. Here's the thing. You know all those beautifully designed emails that we all put the time together the past 10 years put together? We threw them away. We do plain text emails because people don't want to communicate with some faceless big brand with some generic email template. They want to communicate with a person. And so we actually pared everything down to plain text emails, your first name in the subject line, and we changed all the copy so it sounds like it's coming from a person. So it says, Seth, comma, ready for the next step, question mark? And it says, hi, Seth, we were reviewing our files and I noticed that you haven't moved on in the application process. I wanted to reach out and it's signed from a specific person in admissions. And if you reply, it gets triaged into that person's team. So the reality is use technology to enhance relationships. And yeah. so people respond to that email, we open it up and we take the time to respond back to them. And so um, when you talk about personalization, uh, a lot of the times it also can be being more personal is another theme to that. And that to me, if you want email open rates, first name of the subject line and get rid of those designed emails and your performance will skyrocket. That really rings true for advancement too, not just enrollment. Uh, philanthropy is a hyper personal thing. Uh, at talking about personal finance, super icky. And so if you're not on that one-on-one -on -one personal relationship with someone, it's it's not a good, you know, it's not a good read. It's not a good ask. It's not good any of that. Um, and if you're not making it personal, it's just like an online transaction, right? It's not actual philanthropy. Um, so all those rules ring true on the advancement side too. Um, uh, Ed Cabellan. Hi, Ed. Um, Ed is at um, uh, a new role. He's, he's VP of Enrollment and Student Services now. Um, so Ed is busting, busting through silos over there in Massachusetts. Um, wants our thoughts on regional trends and tactics. Regional, okay. regional or national. Okay. Um, regional trends. Um, let me pause and think about that for a second. Um, I'm not sure I'm seeing significant shifts in regional trends. You know, the things I'll say um, is, uh, again, I work in the adult and online space. Um, for me, uh, you know, about what well, the data shows about 70 to 75% of people study within 100 miles of an institution. Uh, so even though they're studying online, they're studying with somebody that's close to home. And so I do think one of the things we're seeing is, is 
national brands trying to have a local presence. And so one of the things that I've seen increase, and it's a little inside baseball, but maybe this will work, is there are some national brands uh, in the adult and online space who are using a strategy called local overlay, uh, which means that they don't just buy media nationally anymore. They actually go into specific DMAs and try to play really heavily locally. For us in San Diego, we're seeing an increase in that. So like in the San Diego market, uh, which is really the home base for National University, which is the flagship institution of the system where I work. Um, you know, we've seen Grand Canyon University come in, University of Arizona, Arizona State. You know, a lot of people that can't afford to get into LA can get into San Diego because the DMA is so much more affordable, obviously, just because the population is smaller. And so where I'm seeing interesting things happening regionally is two things. The really, really small regional tuition-dependent institutions primarily in the Midwest are the ones that are struggling the most. And those are the ones that, unfortunately, we're hearing about are closing. And simultaneously, for the folks that are trying to grow, um, what we're seeing is that they're walking their way into it with mid-sized DMAs. And so San Diego is a tough spot to be in. The reality is people can't afford to leap into New York and LA, and they can't afford to buy media nationwide. And so what we're seeing is increases in the primary pockets. Texas is getting really hot. Florida is getting really hot. You know, California in areas down here like San Diego is getting really competitive. And so um, it is shifting market by market, the fact that the competition can make up can be different. That's something that I've observed, least that like, you know, is really key is that it's not the same market it was two years ago as far as who's here and what they're spending. And what about since um, you are in that non-traditional, not four-year plan, um, Ed's over in a community college role now. Um, so traditional, yeah. non-traditional Sure. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you does, that the biggest does that, does that hold up for community colleges too? Uh, the, the biggest thing that, that I have seen challenge for community colleges is specifically in their population of serving adults. And so where we've seen drops in enrollment, at least from the folks that I've spoken with, um, you know, the reality for, for students either coming directly out of high school or coming out of high school within a year or two that are going to the community college, that younger population, it's still achievable to get those students um, because there is a shift among some population, some portion of it at least, that's more cost conscious and community college is a great option. However, community colleges have traditionally served multiple audiences. One of those is that younger adult, but the other is the older returning adult, right? It's the, it's the person who didn't either go to college or didn't complete college, dropped out freshman year, sophomore year, maybe it was 10 years ago. That population is no longer going to community colleges because community colleges are relying on them to still use a traditional physical model where they have to be in a specific time and place. And that synchronous model where like we all have to be here Thursday at five uh, is not going to fly anymore. Uh, and we're seeing a lot of institutions and community colleges, you know, that are losing up, upwards of double digit enrollment year over year. And one of the big reasons is because people are voting with their feet to move online. And so one of the biggest challenges to me is community colleges um, having whether or not they can have an online offering. A lot of times they're restricted in doing that. And those that can, if it's something that they can market to adults, because unfortunately, the challenge for for community colleges in particular is because the price point is so low, their acquisition cost has to be lower as well. And so you're up against schools like Southern New Hampshire University that are willing to spend $5,000 for every student that they acquire. And so how can a community college that has a marketing budget that equates to maybe $300, $400 do that? The reality is in many ways they can't. And so that to me is the real pressure coming from the community college space is that you're losing the adult students who traditionally would have studied on campus who are now moving online either because they want the convenience or because SNU and everybody else is buying TV ads that get in front of them first. And I'd be completely honest, I don't know how they solve that. Um, that is a real, real challenge for community colleges right now. Cool. Thank you. Um, that was a good one. Good question, Ed. Yeah. Um, we've got many questions from Jason Simon. Uh, okay. Jason Simon, my all-time favorite people in higher ed, and I just want to say shout out to him. Same. Hey, Jason. Um, yeah. So 
his last question really uh, hits close. I to saw it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't mind addressing it. So, um, so, so, uh, big haymaker questions um, from, from or big haymaker predictions on that every marketing org will face uh, in five years. Um, I got two of those for you, Jason. Um, and so the first one I'm going to say is um, everybody needs to be working to bring marketing in-house. Um, the reality is um, the cost savings are so significant if you can bring in-house and have the competency to do it. Uh, many people won't be able to um, or won't have the investment um, to do so. But the example is that at, you know, at National University System, we ran about six months hot on our expenses because I had to hire up the team while maintaining our agency partners. Uh, and then as a result, and since then, we're, we're saving dramatic. So even though the team has gone from 23 to 52, we're saving significant amount of money every year and we're performing better. Uh, and so the reality is while the in-house agency model isn't right for everyone, it's going to be right for a lot of people. And the people who make that effective are going to be able to outperform everyone else. Because when you have a lower agency fee cost, you can pay more to acquire every click. And when I can pay more to acquire every click, I can block you out on the same channel you're using to drive your enrollment. And so that's one big thing that's happening is you have to build it in-house. I will caveat and say you never build everything in-house. Um, we still work with a lot of outside partners. I mean, to be, it's actually great the question came from Jason. I, I work with Simpson Scarborough. They're fantastic. They're a great research partner. I'm never gonna build that competency in-house. We still buy traditional media out. So it's not to say that when you bring things in-house that you bring everything in-house. What you have to figure out how to do is bring the right core competencies in. And to me, one of the biggest areas of that is buying digital media. And so the biggest one is if you don't, if you're not buying your own digital media in the next five years, you're in trouble. Uh, and then the second big one is, Jason, I can't believe you asked your last question. Can you foresee more VP of enrollment uh, or VP of marketing becoming presidents? Um, yes. Uh, the two things that have happened to me, uh, I've heard in the past six months, more movement than ever for more CMOs. Everybody's on the hunt for CMOs. Um, for those of us who work in the space, I'm at you guys. I get hit up all the time with people that are trying to make moves. Uh, and then to be really candid, you know, I, I've also been approached and, and had conversations with people about your last point, um, that there are people who are starting to think that we need wildcard candidates for college presidencies. And what that means is someone who doesn't necessarily come from academia, someone who deeply respects academia, looks to them for guidance, leadership, understands that they're going to be the one delivering the product and the experience to students. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, could the institution be could be led by someone who came up through enrollment. And I think absolutely. I think we will have VPs of marketing and CMOs moving into college presidency roles in the next three to five years. And uh, I can I, I was, imagine how much, I can only imagine how much the faculty would enjoy that. Yeah, I, well, I mean, it's been a, it, it, I'll be candid, it's always a challenge and it's gonna keep being that challenge. Um, and it's been a challenge for me even here in this role. I've done a poor job in hindsight of properly building some of those bridges and bringing people along. Um, the thing that's exciting, I'll say, um, is that uh, when we don't have conversations that are about revenue, uh, but we have conversations that are about students and we re remember that it's not just the real people. And if we believe we do a great job, then, then it's our obligation to get out in front of people and make sure they consider us. And so um, I have found that those bridges can be built, um, but you know, they definitely take time and, uh, and I think we're going to see it in the next three to five years. In fact, the next three years, all colleges, the next three years, there will be a VP of marketing or CMO that moves into a college presidency role. And they'll move into who, what institution? It will probably happen first at the adult and non-traditional side. Um, but it also will happen at small private tuition-dependent institutions um, that are looking for somebody who can champion them through um, to a new era and turn things around. Uh, and I think it's absolutely going to happen. And I absolutely love that question. Favorite question of the day so far. Cool. Um, all right, questions are slowing down. We're inching closer to our like 40, 45 minute mark where people get bored with us, even though someone on Twitter did what? ask. 
for us to go on for two hours today. So apologize. I, I don't got my meeting after this got canceled. So back channel, let us know. I mean, if we want to break all the higher ed rules and just like hold this channel hostage, we can do that. <laughs> it's true. It's true. We have the power. Um, yeah. So, um, you know, I am, cu I'm curious about your team, you know, if what's coming for, um, some cost savings for a lot of institutions, you know, we talked about, needing to mix up those revenue streams, save money, do more with less. If that means um, bringing some of these core competencies in-house, where where would you start? You know, you uh, I, I don't know what it looked like when you came in uh, at National, but, um, you know, if, if you could make three hires next year um, to build up some core competencies, what would be those three? Sure. So, well, I'm excited to answer and say um, we are we are essentially we're built on that we fire we hired our last people. Excuse me, uh, past two months. Um, but I can tell you a few of the big ones that we did. Um, so when I came in, um, there's a couple things that we had to do first. Um, the first and foremost thing is I needed a really strong technical digital marketing position, and this this is the new VP of marketing in higher ed is somebody who came up through digital. Um, and so I brought on an amazing general manager, this, this gentleman Aaron Edgel, who's exponentially smarter than I am. He's a brilliant, brilliant guy. Uh, and the first thing he did was two things. He brought on a head of, uh, of data analytics um, specific to the marketing team. That was an amazing hire, a gentleman, Coda, from uh, McCann Erickson. The guy's absolutely brilliant. And then we hired a director for our paid media team, this amazingly, amazingly smart, talented woman, Joanna, um, who's been in the paid business forever and came in and she built out a whole paid media team. And so um, the first two things that starts, in my opinion, with is analytics, visibility, uh, and then paid media. And it's the ability to directly buy advertising essentially from Facebook, Google, and everybody else and not have to go through anyone else and manage those buys on a daily basis. Um, those were the most important hires. Uh, and then one of the next big ones for me was, was a web team. So we moved from, uh, from uh, using a different web platform finally to WordPress. And we built out a five-person WordPress development team. Uh, as Joel mentioned in the back, back channel, uh, we actually hired Bravery Media, his company, uh, to come in and be that web team until we built it. And so one of the things that people understand is, you know, when we, we get approval to do things, uh, we don't wait. So we got approval to build out a WordPress team on Thursday. And Monday morning, Joel was in San Diego sitting at a desk uh, with our organization. And we had that web team. And people could understand, wait, we just approved this on Thursday. And I said, it's all we needed. It was two business days. We have a web team now. And then over time, Joel actually helped us hire the team, build it out. Uh, and so finding those solutions to move faster and compress that timeline uh, is absolutely key. And so to me, the biggest hires, data analytics uh, was huge, Me paid media and media planning, uh, and then actually web development. I mean, at the end of the day, that's the storefront, right? That's where the majority of people come through. Uh, those are the biggest hires for me uh, in my perspective. And now the team's 52 people. You know, we're broken into three teams, marketing services, account services, and creative services. Uh, and it's a pretty big operation, but the core competencies are still there. Um, the other area I will say that I'm looking to build up, the team is built. We just hired our second person. Um, but really enhancing our marketing automation is pretty key. Um, you know, making sure that email is fully automated uh, and that marketing automation is more than just shooting an email off is, is important. And, and truthfully, it's an area that we're, uh, we're still expanding on right now and probably one of the bigger areas of progress for us this year. Okay, cool. Yeah, um, I will second the analytics person. Um, I hired a assistant director um, for digital marketing who has a statistics degree and can do things with data that I could never conceive with my um, my very technical painting degree that I came into this world with. Um, 
but uh, yeah, analytics for sure. Um, yeah, doing the paid media with an agency is something I've never done. Um, mm -hmm. I've always done paid media in-house. So um, it's probably some of the bigger, um, either bigger brands or brands that just don't have any kind of in-house marketing that are relying on that, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, let me, uh, Eric Olson's got a question in the back channel. Let me throw yeah. out two things. He's asking if you're struggling small, yeah. mid-sized, uh, you know, a uh, nonprofit trying to find unique ground to compete from, uh, what do you focus on? Um, I have a couple initial quick thoughts on that. The first thing is, um, can you do portfolio-based marketing? Um, portfolio marketing is essentially brand marketing. Uh, and we're seeing a lot of the larger competitors do that. And I, I learned this lesson, was taught this lesson by some brilliant folks at Southern New Hampshire University. Um, Southern New Hampshire University, you know, markets uh, 200 online and on-campus programs. Um, and I took that lesson at National University. We market, we have 100 on-campus and online programs. Breadth of program is key. Um, portfolio campaigns and brand campaigns, uh, like on Facebook, for instance, are, have a dramatically lower cost per lead than trying to get really specific. Uh, when you get really hyper-targeted and hyper-specific, trying to target one master's degree to one type of student, uh, your cost per inquiry is going to go up anywhere from two to four times that of a brand campaign. And so the first most important thing is, do you have enough programs to do a brand effort? And I've seen this go as low as, I think, Maryville markets like 12. Uh, so they try this. Um, so the first thing is, you know, can you get a breadth of programs and market the brand? Um, if you can't do that, you're, the second question is, how do you find unique ground to compete on? You know, the classic lesson that I always share, Eric's heard me share, but I'm going to share it again, is um, if what you do isn't different, how you communicate it has to be. And so the example I always give is at Southern New Hampshire University, they wanted to do a campaign about the fact that we cared. Uh, and that's great. And we do think at the time that we, I was there, we thought we cared more than anybody else. But the reality is like what school doesn't care about their students? Like who's going to raise their hand at a conference and be like, we're the ones that don't care. Uh, and so what we had to do is we had to demonstrate an unownable value prop in an ownable way. And that's why we came up with the bus tour idea to drive around the country and deliver diplomas because we could own the demonstration of care, even though we couldn't own care itself. And so to me, if nothing you do is unique, then how you communicate what you do has to be. And that goes back to creative and brand positioning. And that means that more than ever, you have to find a way to sound and look and feel different than everybody else. Um, because ultimately, feeling is driving a whole lot of these decisions. Uh, and so it's possible to be unique without having something unique to actually offer. Awesome. Um, I'm curious with our, you know, we got a few minutes left. Um, if, can you give us a sneak peek on some of the talks that you've got coming up and uh, any, yeah. if there's any conference planners tuning in, um, Seth is for hire. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm ready to get out. Um, so one, the one I'm really excited about uh, is the AMA conference in April, um, the art and science of conversion. Um, basically talking about exactly things that you can do to increase the performance of your campaigns today. Um, one of those I already shared, you know, first names and email subject lines, throw out the designs and make that whole thing personal. Um, but there's other really simple ones um, to do as well. We launched something called App Lite. Uh, somebody fills out an RFI form, which is still the traditional way that many students inquire to get information. And when they fill out an RFI form, rather than getting a thank you and an email, they actually got dropped onto a, a, a lean application page that had about 20 fields and it said, uh, want to go ahead and complete your application, you're already 40% of the way there. And it pre-populated with it and people filled that out. Uh, and then it actually meant that they applied early, essentially they got their application. We said, you know, do you want to move to the front of the queue? Uh, and we found that that increased inquiry to admit, ultimately people being accepted, that rate by 25%. And part of that is we made it easier to move to the next step. But the other part was psychological is that people took the time to commit to it. And we found that 50% of people presented with the opportunity to immediately apply after immediately RFIing will actually go through and do it. Um, that's huge. 
Um, the other things that, that I'm going to be talking about in that conference is the concept of anchor points. Anchor points, the bad version is like if you ever watch an infomercial commercial and it starts at $100 and it slashes all the way down until it's $19.95. Um, the idea is that you start with a reference point for people. And it's not just related to price. And so that's really important that when people don't understand something, that you give them an anchor point or a point of reference so that they can immediately understand what you're talking about. Uh, so I go through some of that. And then the, the, the big other thing I'll just mention is um, this, this a theme that I've done through the last three years is a concept called messaging hierarchy. And the idea is that, that, that we, it's all about delivering the right message on the right channel to the right person at the right time. So when we do a creative or a brand campaign, it's not about taglines or slogans. We actually map it out, and I'm happy to share this at some point. We actually have a, a grid where you map out exactly what stage they are in the funnel, exactly the audience that they are, and the exact value props and messaging that's going to resonate with them as they move through the process. And so the key with that is we don't want to have the same conversation five times. We want to have five conversations that evolve and grow based on the decisions that you're making. Uh, and messaging hierarchy is the way to do that. And it's really possible to organize and execute that uh, and, and move people along. Um, and then my last free tip one is if you want to increase conversion on any web page, uh, use question marks for your headlines rather than just uh, headlines themselves. So as you go through the page and you actually see like a headline for a paragraph, um, actually say things like, do you want to finish faster and pay less? Or would you like to make a difference in your community? Question mark. And then you talk about your great development opportunity. Uh, utilizing question marks inherently encourages people to keep reading because we want the answer to what that question is. And so using questions as a prompt rather than a headline often gets people to read copy more, spend more time on a page, and end up converting at a higher rate. Dang. So those are a few. And then, uh, yeah, the only thing I'll mention is um, creative is still everything. If you haven't seen it, I, I got to shout out my team. National University put out an awesome new campaign called My 30. Uh, they spent 30 days with 30 students all around the country, uh, totally real students, uh, shot 26,000 photos, 126 hours of footage. Uh, it's one of the one of the best campaigns I've ever got to be a part of. And I think it, it goes to show that, that when we talk about relevancy, to take this all the way back to the first conversation today, um, relevancy comes from being real and relatable. Uh, and that comes from being authentic. And that means that like we should all really think about downgrading our Getty stock subscriptions. Uh, not that you don't need it sometimes. I get it. Um, but when you can give people an honest, real view into who you actually are, it's always going to be a winning strategy. Well, I'd love to bring your team back on Higher Ed Live to break that down for us. Can we do that? Yes, 100%. I, I would tell you, I mean, I, I am the luckiest guy in the world because the people that work for me are far more talented, far smarter, uh, and far harder working than I am. And I would love to let the world meet just a few of them because um, cool. they are just aces all around. Awesome. We will definitely do that. And uh, we still have questions coming in on Twitter. We're going to go answer them on the internet. Um, so okay. if you want to keep up with us, um, you can use the hashtag Higher Ed Live. You can tweet at Seth O'Dell or at Ashley underscore Bud. And uh, we'll keep this conversation going. Seth, thanks so much for reaching out and getting us you know, on the internet once again. Um, maybe we won't wait three years to do it next time. I, I hope not. This has been super fun. I've missed this. And everybody out there, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for the comments and questions. And remember, lean mean in 2019. This is your year. All right. All right, Seth. So good to talk to you. Awesome talking to you. Take care. All right. Bye.